Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Levy Gorvey has rechristened its London Gallery at 22 Old Bond Street with a new show called Source and Stimulus, featuring the work of three international pop artists, Sigmar Polka, Roy Lichtenstein, and Gerald Lang. The show focuses on the Bende method for printing photographs and its effect on the imagination of all three painters. In this podcast, Locke Kressler, director of Levy Gorvi, explains the motivation behind the show. For me, this uh, pop art has always been a real passion of mine. Um, I had curated about um, six years ago an exhibition focusing solely on the British pop art movement, and it was actually, uh, strangely enough, especially being, me being an American, um, was the first ever solely focused British pop exhibition to take place in London. And, you know, really during that time, um, I had we had a chance to not only better know Gerald Lang's work, but also get a chance to 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 meet the um, the sons and the family and um, and that part of 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 the British pop um, genre. And in doing so, I had sort of started to make these these connections between uh, Roy Lichtenstein and Sigmar Polka. And I think what all three of those artists uh, were looking at and exploring was, you know, they're especially from a European context where you know, that first generation out of post-war austerity um, were really kind of looking at the world a little bit more with rose-tinted lenses or looking at the mass commerce of what was happening in the world and really shifting away from abstract expressionism that was at least dominating within within the U.S. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, all three of them used the idea of the Ben Day Dot, uh, which, was, uh, which was in the U.S., um, developed by Benjamin Day, um, was created in the late 19th century. And it was taking these very small dots and putting them together in different proximities and different colorations to create a very easy and cheap form of mass-produced imagery for uh, newsprints. And that technique had developed over the years within the United States. Um, in the UK, more referred to as the halftone dot, and in Germany as the raster, um, or when appropriate into painting, the raster build. Um, and, you know, these these images were were seen either in the context of newspapers or with, you know, in the case of, of Roy Lichtenstein, you're seeing them much more in these kind of comic uh, imagery. Um, but I think all three artists looked at this as a, as a new way to really um, not only appropriate their voice within the own, their own context of their, their artwork, but as a way to kind of play on, um, you know, what was happening within the world in that early part of the 1960s. And, for me, it was interesting to really see that, um, you know, you know, all three artists had kind of come to this decision very much on their own. Um, Lichtenstein was really first in 1961 um, when you saw a few of those early paintings um, that use of the Bende. Um, and then 62 uh, was Gerald Lang's first painting and 63 was Sigmar Polka's first painting. And the idea that they're in, you know, three different countries, Germany, uh, the United States and the UK. And I think, especially from someone from my generation, you, you tend to forget that the world was 
was not as as uh, as intimate as it was um, back then. You know, we didn't have the ability to sort of look at an exhibition in Japan uh, whilst also looking the next minute at an exhibition in uh, LA online. I mean, it was very much taking the source imagery from whatever mass media you had that was that was that was being you know sent around um, within their own within their own country. Yeah, we have to presume that they didn't see each other's work. Well, I mean, I, I would say that the uh, Gerald Lang did travel to the United States, but um, his first painting was done, um, as I mentioned, 1962, and that was really born out of him going into the underground stations and seeing these these uh, posters plastered onto the walls and kind of thinking about that that really direct imagery and how to then transpose that into his own work. And this is, you know, really when he was at, at university at the time. Um, in 1963, he traveled to the U.S. Um, he was showing with uh, uh, with Richard Feigen in New York, who was actually exhibiting his work in his third year of university. But at that time, he was actually able to meet, you know, uh, Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein. Um, he had shared a studio with uh, with Robert Indiana, and when he actually physically moved over there in, in 1964, and I think you can see a lot of that change and shift in um, influence more into the kind of zeitgeist of what was happening in America and the excitement that was happening with you know the space race and you know the the sexual liberation. And especially with Gerald Lang, these, you know, amazing dragster cars that were um, sort of everywhere in the United States. And that, that real invention of, of, um, of the automotive practice and, and how much that had, had kind of changed from the utilitarian into the much more sort of fun, exciting uh, dragster sort of uh, style of, uh, of cars. And so were they, Lichtenstein and uh, Lang, actively sort of seeing each other's work and at least Lang responding to Lichtenstein's work? I mean, I don't think there was necessarily a response back and forth. I mean, the thing that I found so interesting about each one of the artists was that um, I think when you come into the exhibition and you're sort of surrounded by, um, you know, a number of really master works by each painter. You know, you can see a real shift looking at a painting like Roy Lichtenstein's Little Aloha, to, uh, which was done in 1962, to two years later when he made uh, Frightened Girl, which we have in the exhibition from 1964. And, you know, you really see that shift from something that was a very handmade, uh, deliberate dot to something that is very, very mechanical almost in its approach. Um, Polka was much more of an alchemist, um, and you can see this kind of very beautiful organic use of of the paint surface um, and his uh, real investigation into how paint and how that that grid like structure is is formed. And then with Lang, um, again, you're looking at some more block colors um, whilst utilizing sort of the bende to create some, you know, many of the sort of the, the forms of the faces or forms of the body or um, so these small little aspects of, of, of each painting. And um, it's, it's, it's really beautiful to kind of see that development of each one of their careers of the 1960s and, and beyond. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned The Frightened Girl, one, because it's an extraordinary uh, painting and it's very powerful, even just in the uh, reproductions and on Instagram. Uh, but, but two, 
from the outside, the way the whole thing has come together, it almost looks like you assembled, you know, you started with the frightened girl and then built this this fantastic armature around it of all of this various uh, work with that similar theme, not just the, the printing uh, aspect of it, but also women and consumer culture and, and all. But I'm mindful of the fact that usually what we think was the intention is often an accident or a byproduct. So I, I was just curious to know sort of where, where did uh, Frightened Girl come into all the planning of this uh, show, the beginning or the end? Well, I'd say uh, uh, I would say the uh, agreement was more towards the end. Uh, you know, this, uh, the entirety of the exhibition. I mean, it really began uh, uh, when I uh, started the 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 ex or the the gallery here in London, and I'd started working with Dominique uh, three and a half years ago, and it was actually one of the first meetings I took after joining the gallery, and it was with Gerald Lang's son, and I had pitched this idea to him and said, this is an exhibition I'd be, I really want to see come to fruition. And um, over that next three and a half years, I really started taking notes and putting different ideas together and making a list of what I felt was the best of in terms of uh, examples by each artist. And um, I may be taking a hat from my, my old sort of Christie's days where I was for 10 years, but, you know, I love this idea of the the sort of treasure hunt behind it and trying to find these works, not only that, you know, uh, give an understanding for the concept of the exhibition, but somewhat of a wow factor in, in reintroducing a number of these works back to the public. Um, and in the case of Frightened Girl, um, the painting was last seen 25 years ago uh, when uh, it was shown at the Guggenheim Retrospective for Roy Lichtenstein. And following that, it's been tucked away in a private collection in Europe um, and has not been seen by the public until today, um, which is, you know, a really exciting, um, exciting thing when you first come into the gallery and see that work, um, you know, sort of moving on from that, looking at uh, one of the, the really exciting finds we made were two paintings by Gerald Lang, uh, the two of the Bikini Girls, of which he made 10. And um, one had been in a collection in Minnesota and, and one in the collection in Colorado. And both were bought in 1965 for kind of a, a meager sum of around $625 and had stayed in the same collections. And even the catalog raisonne that came out last year, both images were in black and white. And we're now showing them for the first time since they originally were, were seen in, in the Feigen show in 1965. Um, and we also have a a beautiful uh, Sigmar Polka painting from 1965, uh, which was bought directly from Sigmar in the late 60s and was never published and never exhibited and being seen for the first time here in the context of our gallery publicly. Is that the couple, uh, that painting, or uh, the girlfriends? So we have we have two, two paintings that are sort of a couple. So that's uh, the black and white couple. Um, the other one um, that you're 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 mentioning, uh, we have two museum loans um, coming from the uh, Lambrecht Schaderberg collection, um, which is um, view in, in Sagan. Part of what we wanted to do here is be able to reach out to the museum community and and really be able to include that that level of, of museum quality work. Um, and then I, I you know we were sort of talking about origins of of the exhibition, and I. I know uh, beyond just Frightened Girl, uh, I call it my white whale painting, uh, 
um, Freundinen, which is, was painted by Sigma Polka in 1965 to 66 from the Froelich collection, is one of my favorite paintings from the latter half of the 20th century. And, um, you know, it's something that I felt was so needed within this, the context of this exhibition. Um, it was actually one of the, the earlier works that was agreed for a loan for, for the show and I think really helped set the stage for um, a lot of the other lenders to to agree and and to really understand the the, the gravity of what we were trying to accomplish within this uh, the context of the exhibition. I noticed you also have the um, the recently sold from the Spiegel uh, collection uh, Frau mit Butterbrot uh, painting. I'm assuming that's sort of part of the same mix show with a lot of museum loans and uh, uh, other hard to find works. Yeah, I mean, I think you know what's so interesting about that painting and the tennis player. I mean, those are two of the most exceptional large scale works from you know the early 1960s that are still in private collection i was speaking with the uh the head of the polka estate and we determined that actually the tennis player and the family butterbrot um, were actually being reunited for the first time uh since the 1967 uh Neue exhibition um so it's 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 quite exciting to have those two works back together and i think really in conversation with one another um, again, like they, they, they were, you know, back when they were originally painted. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see them. Um, and that, that dialogue between the sort of man and woman and also this, you know, kind of polk of play on this, this, uh, again, this next generation post, post World War II. And it's kind of poking fun at, you know, this, the, the high society that is going to come out of that, of that, that, that post-war era. Yeah, they're they're very much scenes from the good life, aren't these? Uh, both these pictures. <laughs> so I was curious, amidst all of these, you know, both interesting range of of works, and there's a certain emphasis on luxury and sexiness. There's this one last polka that is from 2003 which is a mm-hmm. very interesting looking painting at least from the re- reproductions but you know when you first see it since it has uh, nudes in it it's almost uh, jarring i had to the only reason i realized it was 2003 i had to look at it and say wow this seems you know uh, particularly for 1963 a hell of a painting and so i was curious uh, how that fits in with the rest of uh, the story well i mean for me it was it was interesting because i think what we wanted to kind of continue in the third room was really that was the continued investigation into the Bende from all the artists. And I think this piece in particular was quite poignant because it was a painting that was made um, along with three others for the Tate exhibition in 2003. And actually that painting had taken so long to create and was so detailed, like it took almost four months, uh, that he didn't have it completed in time for the exhibition. Um, and so it never made it to the Tate show and has never been really seen in, in, in a fully public context. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting to see it in dialogue with these 1960s works. And again, this use of abstraction, the kind of alchemy in, you know, his picture plane and this poured, you know, this, this poured background, but also using, you know, a found fabric or tablecloth. Um, rather than using the traditional oil on canvas medium. Um, and I, you know, I think it, it says a lot about what Polka was trying to do. He's drawing the viewer. And I think whether it's through sort of the subtlety of, of, of the earlier works or something as 
very raw and in your face is, is painting from 2003. I, I want to slightly switch gears and, and talk a little bit about um, collectors and their interest in pop art, mostly because uh, one of the other things that's striking about this show, as you, you made the point earlier, that here are three painters in their early 60s all fastening on similar themes but from very different places and most likely you know without much communication um or or, or contact I mean, i'm sort of reminded of that story about andy warhol seeing lichtenstein's work and being both sort of uh, validated and upset that you know he too had been working with superman and uh, uh you know it, it was kind of upsetting <laughs> to see someone get there first and and show for first but there have been at least two traveling shows and a couple of more, I, I think, uh, uh, on the theme of international pop art. And mm -hmm. there seem to be now more bubbling along different shows like yours that aren't necessarily titled international pop art, but but are working within that vein. And so I I just wanted to get a sense from you, you, you sort of both deal with collectors and uh, you're, you're putting on shows. Do you see this as like, uh, the beginning of a, a, a reevaluation or re-understanding of uh, pop art, a reclaiming of it. I mean, especially since you know you've got all these lang works where which are kind of a, a rediscovery, certainly more so than uh, the other two uh, uh, artists. I just wanted to get a sort of pull back a little bit and get you to uh, talk about sort of pop art uh, as a, a global phenomenon for collectors right now. I mean, I think in both pop art and sort of beyond, I think. With the access to the internet, traveling around the world to see shows and art fairs and, and museum retrospectives, the stage for understanding beyond the confines of your own borders has been pushed more and more and more for collectors. And, you know, the, the old idea of an American collecting American pop art or American abstract expressionism or you know, just focusing on your own country, I think is starting to fade more and more. And I think what's what's exciting for a lot of these collectors, and I think the reaction we've had from a lot of them, um, is one of a sense of discovery when it comes to Lang. Um, and also, you know, in some respects, you know, for Americans looking at, at Polka, um, you know, I think it's only, you know, I've seen just an uptick in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years from, you know, American collectors really looking um, beyond their borders, but also seeing, you know, whether it's um, collectors in Asia or Russia or South America, also kind of looking at, you know, pop art, but as a whole. And I found it really exciting um, and, and, and quite surprising um, just to go back to the, the British pop exhibition that I put on, um, you know, my initial investigations into it, thinking that, uh, you know, if you're doing a British pop exhibition, most of the loans will just be coming from, you know, the greater UK. And in reality, uh, we had loans that were coming from all over the world, including, you know, Europe, uh, Switzerland, uh, Italy, Spain, Portugal, uh, Germany, and, you know, beyond into the United States and even into a little bit of Asia to, to put that exhibition together. And I think the birth of uh, a lot of these new uh, and recent retrospective looking at international pop art is giving light to a lot of these artists who may not have had that that international recognition, but showcasing them along other artists that 
that really do show their the strength and what they were doing and the relevance of what they were doing at the time and and how that reflected um you know whatever local country that they were in does that make the the Langworks, part of a, a plan on your part, as it were, to sort of uh, reintroduce Lang. I mean, this has been a big theme over the last few years of rediscovering uh, historical masters who've been uh, either work has been overlooked for you know market terms, or I'm presuming in Lang's case, sort of more there's just there's a small body of paintings, uh, especially from the, this period, and so it it sort of hasn't had the attention. You know, I think it's it's something that I've been extremely passionate about when it comes to the work of Gerald Lang. He had lived in the United States, and I think, you know, maybe had he remained in the U.S., he, you know, may have continued this exploration longer into his career. And it's something he actually revisited much later again in his career, um, where, he, you know, following his uh, his look at, you know, sculpture and, um, and more realistic painting. Um, but, you know, for me, I just felt like... Uh, the understanding was very much focused on the UK, and I, I knew that you know putting these works up against these masterpieces from um, from Polka and Liechtenstein that you know it would really stand strong and have its own voice and have its own you know hold its wall really in, uh, in its its own form. And I think what's so nice is when you come into this room um, or the various uh, galleries uh, that they each you know, there is this real incredible sense of dialogue and discussion between each one of them. And uh, you see these common threads and themes that are being pulled from it. And it's not necessarily to try and change a, a market for an artist, but it's trying to sort of put it into a context that it may not have been thought of. Uh, but I think the context is really about how each country was, was dealing with or, or looking at or trying to understand its place in the world following World War II and the reaction you have from everything that was happening from, you know, the movies to the space race to, um, you know, that, that, that real sense of, as I mentioned before, sexual liberation. And, and you can see that in each one of these with, from the bikini girls to girlfriends or Freundinen from Polka to Little Aloha and Frightened Girl um, from Lichtenstein. But in, 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 in truly very different approaches with the same kind of idea of that dot. So uh, I actually looked on Instagram to see a couple of the shots of the rooms, but how, how have you hung it since this is a podcast uh, and we can't see it? Maybe you could just sort of give us a little bit of a, a narration of uh, w what you were trying to do uh, with the various artists. No, no, of course. And I think what's, what's quite exciting for this is that, uh, you know, we opened uh, the gallery three and a half years ago at 22 Old Bond Street and uh, under the umbrella of Levy Gorv or Dominique Levy, now Levy Gorvi. Um, and this was really a relaunch for us because we've, we've really doubled the, the, the exhibition space that we have. Uh, we've taken up the floor within the building and it uh, sort of allowed us as a not only an incredible exhibition to open, but as sort of a a relaunch and rebrand re for our, our London space. And the way it's really divided is into three gallery spaces. Um, I think it's, when you first come in, I would say to the, to the main gallery, um, you, you have this incredible sense of, uh, of figuration, uh, looking at, um, 
you know, uh, Roy Lichtenstein's Frightened Girl um, as you come in. And then uh, to the left of you is Seymour um, Polka's Freundinen. Um, and then behind you, you have uh, Polka's Strand and um, uh, Lichtenstein's incredible early drawing called Bread and Jam from 1963. And then again, within the context of these, the beach and these, these female themes, you have two of these uh, recently rediscovered uh, Gerald Lang paintings. And then, then going into sort of the back part of the gallery, I think what's really interesting and something that I'm quite passionate about doing when we're doing a historical um, review um, is, uh, you know, pulling anything that is relevant in terms of its uh, of context. So we have um, the original study from uh, Sigmar Polka's Freundinen, uh, which is the idea from which the estate feels that, that that was the study for. Um, we also have a number for the Bikini Girls. Um, and um, on the back wall, we have one of my favorite paintings from Gerald Lang, which is called Lincoln Convertible from 1964. And um, we have all of the original Zapuder um, clippings that Gerald had uh, taken, and they're sort of splashed with these different colors of paint. And right in front of you, you have this painting. And it was done um, shortly after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Um, it was really his reaction to, to, to being in the United States, hearing about this, and instantly felt he needed to make a work of art to, to reflect that. And he's taken all of these elements to create one canvas. And it, and it feels almost like it's a, it's a movie still going from one snapshot to the next or one still image to the next. Um, and then it's also introduced with this element of a shaped canvas, which was perhaps very daring for that time and something very unique and, and unusual, um, where you have the tail end of this, this, this car, um, kind of coming off the back. And, um, uh, it was interesting for me to, to discover that when he originally painted this work, um, he wanted this to be included in, in the exhibition he was doing at Richard Feigen's and Feigen actually refused to have that, that work exhibited at the time. So, um, he ended up just hanging on to the painting and, um, he that sat, you know, in a studio for 30 years and it never, uh, never sort of came out of was exhibited until just recently. It's a really exciting, exciting, um, kind of piece because it's, it's something as, an extremely raw moment in time for for America and kind of a healing moment. And, you know, I always sort of ask my mother, or my mother would ask, you know, uh, if you remember what you, you know, where you were, what you were doing when, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And I think every person who was alive then remembers. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful image. And um, it's one that not only... A subject that not only Lang took on, but also Polka, um, when he did a portrait of Lee Harvey Oswald in 1963. I assume the Starlet and uh, the Lincoln Convertible and some of these other works are uh, available. That you know, part of this is a selling exhibition. Uh, I have to say, we were uh, successful enough before we opened that we were we managed to place a few of the works in you know extremely. Uh, great homes. Um, so I would say that, you know, at the moment, about 95% of the exhibition is on loan. Um, um, this is, a, a, I'm, I'm not sure it's a great idea from a, a commercial gallery context, but a lot of the exhibitions that, you know, I've, I've put on in the past, whether it was the um, Gilbert and George uh, exhibition we recently had in London, uh, which was managed to bring together all 23 works 
um, from this original 1971 show at Sonnenberg Gallery um, called The General Jungle, um, or the same thing with the Gerhard Richter exhibition we had two years ago, um, where we had one painting of the nine for sale. Um, you know, I think for us, that, it's that really was about... The, that was the so color charts uh, exhibition? Correct, yeah. And that was the first retrospective to fo- solely focus on um, on Gerhard Richter's color charts. Um, and, you know, we worked very closely with Gerhard and... and um, and um, the archives put that together. And, uh, you know, for me, um, as, as Dominique says, I, I, I tend to want to put on these, what she calls impossible exhibitions. And, um, you know, I think I love to be able to do that and to do something in, in the context of these, in, in the context of a gallery, in a gallery, um, and, and have the, the nimbleness that we have here and the ability to sort of make quick decisions to ensure that the, the exhibition we're trying to create gets created uh, without having to deal with the bureaucracy of maybe a, what is typical in a, in a museum context. So, so that brings up an interesting inside baseball question uh, I have, because, you know, I, I, Obviously, many uh, galleries like yours, you know, secondary market uh, uh, galleries that put on these uh, historical shows are not necessarily putting on the show to sell specific works, but to, you know, make an interesting point about the artist and develop relationships on all sides of uh, the equation. And the sales come when the sales uh, come. But I, I, and, and I'm, of course, used to hearing about primary dealers. Um, placing works before a, a, a say a, a show, both to give a sense of demand and momentum for the ar- artists, but also to help you know make sure that they've underwritten usually a very expensive uh, proposition. But I think this is the first time I've heard someone say that you know before a show like yours that you were able to place the the work. So is is that a I wouldn't want to say standard, but is that a, a strategy that you use of uh, being able to sort of say you're putting together an exhibition as part of it you've you've come across these works and then go to some of your either better clients or ones that you know are interested in in this area and give them the opportunity to buy before the show organizing a, an exhibition of, of this sort of magnitude i mean you know when you are insuring over 275 million dollars worth of art uh, in the gallery and uh, you know 98 of it's on loan you're going to want to be able to sort of, uh, you know, think about it well in advance of, you know, as I said, I've been working on this for three years. I'm very, you know, or collectively as a team, we've been very well adept at knowing who is out there and who is interested. Um, but also, I think equally, uh, we were surprised by a number of people whom we approached generally about the exhibition, whether it was for loans or for um, uh, just to, to generally discuss the exhibition. Um, and the response, whether it be uh, you know, a collector we had thought of for Lichtenstein looking at Polka or someone we thought about for Polka was interested in Lang and that kind of interesting circle. And, um, you know, the demand we've had for obviously a number of works that aren't for sale is, is definitely strong. But, you know, I think what we've been very good at doing is sort of respecting the fact that those who are here and who have, who have you know, uh, I look at all of these works coming from private collections and museums is really almost uh, giving over a child to us for for the duration of the exhibition and knowing that we're we're, we're treating that that work as such and um, you know respecting that you know it's it's come here for the the essence of an exhibition and and really the 
idea of 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 the show and the concept of the show and seeing that fully executed to its best degree. And you talked earlier about you know the the long-standing conversations you've had with uh the Lang estate. Uh do you guys have a mm-hmm. relationship uh with the Lang estate or is this as part of a you know seeing if you guys can work together? Well, I mean I've known uh you know uh the family of uh, probably the last six years, um, we've always kept a very strong relationship. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I really wanted to, um, you know, continue their father's legacy and do an exhibition that I felt um, propelled it to, you know, a much larger, um, much larger standing and, and really allow um, uh, an international collector base to, to, who may not have been aware of the artist to be able to see some of the best examples of that artist's relationship that we're, we're, we're growing, uh, more and more. And it's, and I'm hoping that we see some, some continuing, continued investigations into their father's work in an exhibition, um, in the near future. So as sort of a final question on that note, how much more material is there? I mean, you, you've got a couple of things from the estate and, and, uh, I believe Lang, as you mentioned earlier, sort of gave up painting for a long while, came back to it. Uh, it is there a lot of work still with the estate? Is it mostly uh, with collectors? Is is there a fair amount of museum representation? I mean, there's. A, I would say there's all three, which is quite nice. Um, and I think what's so interesting about the work is that you know, the sons have uh, done an incredible job of really putting together um, a catalog raisonné for their, uh, their for their father's legacy. Um, and it gives a really great understanding of really what's out there and what he, what he did. And he was um, thankfully a fairly meticulous artist. So uh, I think we were able to put this together um, with a very clear vision of, of what he had created in his lifetime. Um, and with that in mind, though, I think because works had sold through galleries, there's still a great sense of discovery. Um, you'll see in there, there's quite a lot of works that are shown as unknown in the, um, as unknown in the catalog raisonne. So, um, you know, we're hoping that more and more will sort of, um, come to our attention and, and, and sort of be able to complete the, uh, understanding of where a lot more of these paintings are, but, um, you know, I'd say a very strong number of them still exist within, you know, European and uh, American collections. So you're really hanging out a shingle and, and trying to get people to come forward because you've got meticulous records from the artist, but not necessarily uh, an understanding of where the canvases have wound up. It's true, and it's true with, you know, I think a lot of artists like that, especially, you know, these painters from the 1960s, there are these, there is an understanding of what's out there, but there's always a great sense of discovery when they kind of, you know, uh, come to to fruition, come come to light. The show certainly seems like it has a great element of discovery to it. The photographs are fantastic. I'm only sorry I can't see it in person. Thanks so much for allowing me to sort of describe for your listeners uh, the exhibition, and I hope um, they'll have a chance to come out here if they haven't already. We're open until April 21st, Levy Gorby, uh, 22 Old Bond Street in London. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 